there are times in the life of the church that are precious. And to me, this is always one of them. And to see these little ones grow up and we have now, as you recall, when we were we had a baptism a, a, a couple of weeks ago, that a couple of the little boys who are now seven, eight, nine years old um, have confessed Christ and they were baptized. And these little ones, I remember dedicating them, uh, you know, seven, eight years ago. And what a joy it is to see them grow in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Would you join me for prayer? Father, our hearts are full with praise and thanksgiving. Uh, I don't know of a more fitting Father's Day, Day than to dedicate a little one to you, to you. And so we pray, Father, for Micah, as we pray for all of our children, and we pray for our dads, that they would uh, be a strong model of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and that they would uh, live and speak and act a life of Christ in this world. So thank you, Father, for this wonderful gift. And now, Lord, you've given us another amazing gift, and that's the gift of your word. And as we open it up now, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive the truth that you have for us today from this amazing story that we all know so profoundly well as the prodigal son. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, it's Father's Day, and uh, we're celebrating uh, what God is doing in the lives of our fathers and when we were planning out this summer series of messages, uh, naturally, um, the one that we wanted to preach on Father's Day was the story of the prodigal son. In the original, uh, the way this book, this uh, chapter was characterized was the story of the lost son. And uh, this morning I want to share that with you. But I want to start by tipping my hat once again to dads. And I think a good way to do that is to join uh, Jeff Foxworthy in some of his famous redneck jokes. Now, there's a couple of them and I need your help. At the end of these, each of these, I need you to say you might be a redneck. You know how this goes. Let's try one together. If your mailing address includes the word holler, you might be a redneck. Okay, you need to say that nice and loud. Uh, if the Salvation Army comes to your house and takes the wrong furniture, you might be a redneck. Uh, they'll take our couch, obviously. Um, if you select a date's corsage to match your tattoo, you might be a redneck. If you're over 30 and still give other people wedgies, you might be a redneck. You laugh, Brian. I know you do that. If your first anniversary, you take your wife to dinner at the Walmart snack bar, uh, you might be a redneck. If you've ever slow danced at a Waffle House, uh, you might be a redneck. If your wife has a set of earrings that you use as fishing lures, you might be a redneck. And the last one, if you stare at a can of orange juice because it says concentrate, then you might be a redneck. Well, what does being a redneck have to do with the story of the prodigal son? Well, everything and nothing. And we would probably argue that uh, rednecks are, just like us, have the ability or the penchant towards becoming prodigals at times. But this morning, I want to talk to you. Nice, clean-cut, middle-class, Western American, uh, United States people. And uh, you're all clean and shiny. You all look good. You're all shined up for Father's Day. And I want to say to each and every one of you that God has called us to his enormous love, whether you are a prodigal or not. My assumption is that all of us 
at some time, and some particularly, maybe at this time, at this very moment, have experienced what it means to be a prodigal. I'm a prodigal son, and my guess is, so are you. And this morning, we have all discovered that when we go out to a faraway place and do our own thing, uh, pursue our own desires, that we have stumbled and fallen and now crawled back to our Heavenly Father, where we find Him not with a finger of condemnation, but we find Him with arms wide open. If you find yourself today as a prodigal or as a past prodigal wanting to come back to the Father, the good news for you is this, and we'll say it right up front. Welcome home. Welcome home to the love and the grace and the joy of the Father's love. Welcome home. Yet the reality of this story in Luke's gospel is that many of us are prodigals, but many of us are also the elder son, the son who stayed home, the son who made the right choices, the son who, at least on the surface of the story, remained faithful to his father. In the story, and in our real life faith journeys, we are the elder son. We are the religious. We are the righteous, sometimes self-righteous. We are the judgmental. We are Pharisees. Well, what is a Pharisee? Well, using the Jeff Foxworthy method of theology, let me ask you to help me again. If the sermon is always for someone else, you might be a Pharisee. Okay, let's say that together. If the sermon is always for someone else, you might be a Pharisee. If you're disgusted by someone else's sin and not your own, you might be a Pharisee. If you believe everyone's bad situation is their own fault, you might be a Pharisee. If you believe your lifestyle and your hard work is the reason you are loved, you might be a Pharisee. If you believe your righteousness and your piety make you acceptable, you just might be a Pharisee. If you believe there are some people who are unredeemable, you might be a Pharisee. And the last one, and say it with me loud, if you believe that the Father's love is conditional, you might be a Pharisee. The story of the prodigal son and the father and the elder son is a story of being lost and found, about being self-righteous and humble, and always about, in the words of the ancient hymn, the one who awaits with open arms and waits to hold me in an eternal embrace. Let's read the story together. It's in three parts, three acts, you might say. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. If you have your Bibles turned there, we'll also put it up on the screen. And it's in your sermon notes. Hope Covenant Church, this is the word of God for you. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, let me have the share of the estate that will come to me. So the father divided the property between them. A few days later, the younger son got together everything he had and left for a distant country where he squandered his money on a life of debauchery. When he had spent it all, that country experienced a severe famine. And now he began to feel the pinch 
So he hired himself out to one of the local inhabitants who put him on his farm to feed the pigs. And he would willingly have filled himself with the husks the pigs were eating, but no one would let him have them. Then he came to his senses and said, How many of my father's hired men have all the food they want and more? And here I am dying of hunger. I will leave this place and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired men. So he left the place and went back to his father. And then the next paragraph is about the father. While he was still a long way away, his father saw him and was moved with pity. He ran to the boy, clasped him in his arms and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and his sandals on his feet. Bring the calf we have been fattening and kill it. We will celebrate by having a feast because this son of mine was dead and now has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And then the elder son. Now the elder son was out in the fields and on his way back, as he drew near the house, he could hear the music and dancing. Calling one of the servants, he asked what it was, what it was all about. The servant told him, your brother has come and your father has killed the calf we had been fattening because he has gotten him back safe and sound. The older son was angry and then refused to go in. And his father came out and began to urge him to come in. But he retorted to his father, all these years I have slaved for you. And never once disobeyed any orders of yours. Yet you never offered me so much as a kid for me to celebrate with my friends. But for this son of yours, notice the sarcasm. This son of yours, when he comes back after swallowing up your property, he and his loose women, you kill the calf we have been fattening. The father said, my son, you are with me always. And all that I have is yours. But it was only right we should celebrate and rejoice. Because your brother here was dead and has come to life. He was lost. And now he's found. Let me set the context here. Jesus has been going all over Israel. Doing miracles. And ministering to the crowds through the preaching and teaching of the kingdom of God. Now, he has, at this time, gathered a great following. Thousands of people now are listening to him and watching him and hearing his stories. But at this particular time, he recognized once again that the Pharisees, who were going around also and listening to his teaching, that the Pharisees were furious. Now, they were furious for a lot of reasons. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and he kept saying he was, especially in the Gospel of John. But more than anything, they were afraid of losing their power and their prestige. They were afraid of losing their position in society. The crowd was so great in following after Jesus, they thought they were going to lose their popularity. 
And so they criticized him continually for not keeping the Mosaic law. Always looking out for ways to trick him and to trap him. And to say, yes, see what he's doing? He's not obeying the law. But one of the worst things that Jesus did, at least in the minds of the Pharisees, was he was hanging out with the wrong crowd. He would go and hang out with the, uh, the gamblers, the druggies, the alcoholics, the prostitutes, even the tax collectors. He would go to where they were hanging out, the bars and the brothels and other places, and there Jesus would talk to them and start up a conversation with them. He would eat with them. He would become friends with them. And the Pharisees hated this. How dare he? Go to those people. How dare he hang out with those people that are soiled and dirty and sinful and broken? How dare he? Why doesn't he come and spend time with us? We are clean and we are beautiful and we are wealthy and we are educated. And above all else, we are religious. How dare he go to those people? Well, Jesus answers that in the first couple of verses of chapter 15. Now, in chapter 15, we find the teaching of the prodigal son. But before that, he gives an introduction and then he talks about three different situations. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. But the first three verses of chapter 15 are fascinating. Here's what it says. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees... And religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Their grumbling triggered this story. How dare, Jesus, do you hang out with these people when you should be with the clean, the sober, the religious, the respectable, the educated. How dare you hang out with these? So in response to that, Jesus tells them three stories. The parable of the lost, the lost sheep. Ninety-nine were safe and secure, but one was lost, and Jesus went out to find that one lost sheep. Have you ever been a lost sheep? Well, I have. How about the parable of the lost coin? Ten coins, ten silver coins worth a lot of money, but one of them was lost. And the master turned the house upside down to find where that one lost coin was. And it was that that valuable to him. And then the third story, the parable of the lost son. The son goes into a faraway land. He squanders his father's inheritance. He comes back on his hands and knees begging for mercy. And each of those stories... Jesus said, you know what? I want you to know why these stories matter. And remember whose audience. He's talking to the sinners and the tax collectors, but he's also talking to the Pharisees. I want you to know why these three stories matter. And it's this, because each and every one of those lost people matter to me. Every one of them matter to me. The grubby, the dirty, the sinful, the broken, they matter to me. I'll tell you how much they matter to me. They matter so much to me that I died on the cross for their sins as well. And there's this wonderful verse in Luke 15.10 that says this. Celebrate with me. I found my lost coin. Count on it. That's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. Just imagine that. 
uh, as you know, most of you that come to our church regularly, about, depending on the message, once or twice a month, we have a call for people to give their hearts to Christ right in our service. We offer them a prayer if they want to pray it and to receive Christ in their hearts. And so we do this on a fairly regular basis. And two weeks ago we did this. And at both services, there were people that raised their hands and accepted Christ. And I had a chance to talk to them after the service, and it was wonderful. But you know the neat thing? about Every time that happens in our church, if we would just be quiet, or at least if I would just be quiet, just for a moment, you can hear the angels singing. Just for a moment. As God rejoices, one lost person is found. It's in this context that Jesus speaks of the story of the prodigal son. Now remember, he's talking not only to the sinners, those egregious sinners, and those tax collectors, those phonies, but he's also talking to the Pharisees when he tells this story. And he tells it in three parts. And the first part of the story of the prodigal son is about the young, younger son. And I want to show you a picture, and we'll ask Rob to put that up there. This is Rembrandt's painting of the return of the prodigal son. And um, I, I didn't want it really too much enlarged because the more enlarged it gets, the less pixelated. And I'd like you, if you have time, to go on the Internet this afternoon and look this up. And uh, this is uh, Rembrandt's portrayal of the prodigal son. Now, you'll notice uh, the boy. Uh, notice some things about him. Um, his clothes are rags. <laughs> he only has one shoe. His head has been shaven, although it doesn't look like it's been shaven. It looks like his hair has fallen out. And I think that's a commentary that Rembrandt was trying to make. That he probably had some kind of a disease, maybe an STD or something, to where he's losing his hair. And uh, he's a pathetic, broken individual. Notice the father. The father has embraced him. And in the text it says that when the father goes and sees the son, and he runs out to meet the son, the text says that he embraces him and that in the original text it says that he could not stop kissing his head. <laughs> so the father, this soiled, sinful, broken, ugly human being that has wasted his father's inheritance, this boy, the father embraces and he can't stop t- kissing that gross head. That's the story of the prodigal son. Now let's look at the younger son. There was a time when this boy uh, was not looking like this, but he was well-clothed, well-fed, well-heeled. Yet, it was not enough for him. The love of his father and his mother, nothing said about the mother, but the love of his father and his mother, his brother, he might have had other brothers and sisters, we don't know, The love of all of the servants in his household, all of them meant nothing to him. Let me have the share of the estate that will come to me. Now, this goes much deeper. Uh, Kenneth Bailey, uh, a commentator, said in his penetrating application, explanation of this story, that this is akin to saying when the son said, let me have the share of my estate. This was akin in the ancient Near East. This was akin to saying, uh, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Uh, Dad, all of those things that you have given me. Um, I was raised. He was raised probably with a silver spoon. I mean, this 
father had great wealth and obviously the kids were well healed and they had everything they needed. They had the cool clothes to go to school in. They had all the modern appliances, you know, all the Game Boys and all that. They had everything you could possibly want. They had it all. But it wasn't enough. And so the boy said, I not only reject you, Dad, I wish you were dead. I'm rejecting home. Everything I learned in our home, I'm leaving. You know those family devotions that were so corny? Garbage. I'm leaving it. You know those traditions we had at Christmas and all the... Forget it. None of them. I want nothing to do with them. That faith you taught us, that, those stories you told us about God and His love and all of that. Forget it. I want nothing, nothing to do with that. I reject it. I reject it. My community, my friends, all of my neighbors, I reject them all. This is what it means to be a prodigal. Now, you know what I'm talking about. Because all of us in our lives, at some level, maybe it was in our minds, in our hearts, in our bodies, but somehow, some way, we have rejected those things that we have come to believe as children that really matter. So you grow up going to Sunday school, listening to stories about Jesus, and say, yes, uh, I believe that. And, and, and you're dedicated, like Micah was this morning. And, and there'll be a day when Micah will tell Brian and Kelly, you know what, I, I, I'm seven, I'm eight years old now, I, I feel like I'm ready to be baptized. I've given my heart to Jesus and I want to be baptized. And so we'll baptize Micah. And there'll be a day when he gets older, when in youth group, perhaps, he'll he'll once again make a new commitment to Christ and say, maybe I want to be a preacher, a missionary. And he's making all of these decisions, but then he hits college and, and something goes wrong. It's terribly wrong. In fact, recent studies show that between 40 and 50 percent of all kids that were raised in the church, when they go, go away to college, they don't just leave the church. They leave their faith. They leave, and that scares me. And that's why this side of the building and this side of the building really matter at Hope Covenant Church. What we do on these two sides of the building, it matters. Because 40 to 50% of kids in our church, they grow up in church, they're going to leave not just church, they're going to leave the faith. That's what the prodigal son did. And when he did that, he was saying, Dad, I want nothing to do with you. I want nothing to do with your faith. Only, all I want from you is your money. I want nothing else to do with you. And we are hard on the younger son, and we should be. But do you know what? That's us doing the same thing. When we say no, when we go to a different place, and notice what it says here, we go to a, when we go to a different place, when we go to a faraway land, we go to a different place, and we say, this is going to give me life. This new place, this new woman, this new sexual experience, this new drug, this new alcohol, this new job, this new car, this new... This will give me substance. This will give me something to believe in. This is what will really give me life. When we go to that place, we're a prodigal. And we say those things that I was raised with, that Jesus matters more than anything else, not true anymore. Well, God really matters, not true anymore. Oh, I may still give... Uh, word consent to God. I may even go to church once in a while because I don't want to... But, but my life, the place that I have gone says, I don't care about my family, my God, my faith anymore. That's a prodigal. That is a prodigal. I remember talking to um, uh, my son, my grandkid's dad, when he was in high school and first started college. And he said... Um, Dad, I don't believe in what you talk about anymore. I, I don't believe the same way. I still believe in God, but I don't believe in all this Christian stuff, but I don't believe in it, and I, I'm going a different path, a different way, and, and that's, that's where I'm going. 
And I said, well, son, do you realize that when you say that, that you're saying you're not only rejecting your faith, but, but you're rejecting me. Because as your father, I have given my life for this stuff. I've given my life for ministry. I've given my life for Christianity. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Dad, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but yes, that's exactly right. I'm moving away from that. Now, thanks be to God, that didn't last very long, maybe a year. And he came back to his faith. And today is one of the strongest Christian men I know. But here's the deal. We all feel that going to another place will satisfy us. And that place could be in your head, in your heart. It could be geographic. But you go to another place. What was the younger son looking for? You know, the younger son's life was filled with a lot of uh, ifs, right? Kind of a world filled with ifs. Um, If I have a little bit more money, then I'll be happy. If I have the right kind of relationship, the right kind of marriage, then I'll be happy. If I have the right kind of job. And so the younger son was looking for all of these ifs, but he found that all of them were dead ends. And now his life is filled with different ifs. And those different ifs sound like this. I wonder if my dad will still love me. I wonder if my dad will accept me, not as a son, but as a slave. I wonder if I can be anything to my family again. And so this life of ifs has turned upside down. From that far away place to here and now, we find the younger son finally saying, I need God. I need my father. I need my old life. And so here's what it says. So he left. Listen, this is a powerful verse. So he left the place and went back to his father. Now, what's that place for you? Again, it may be something in your heart, in your head, maybe geographic. So he left that place, that place that he had decided would satisfy his needs, that place that would fulfill him. He left that place and went back to his father. You know what? That's a definition of the biblical word repentance. Repentance means to turn around and walk the opposite direction. He left the place and went back to his father. Look at the Rembrandt's picture again. How long had this boy been walking? (laughs) How far away was he? Uh, He only had one shoe left when he got there. His clothes are rags. He has no money. And this is a boy that is completely and totally broken. He has nothing to offer anyone. He has nothing. And then we see the father. The Bible says that the father sees him while he was still a far way away. Now, I don't know what that means exactly, except it may mean that the father was looking for his son. How long had he been gone? We don't know. Maybe a year, maybe two. But somehow, some way, they had had binoculars in those days. The father would have been on the front porch looking at the horizon. I wonder if today's the day when my son will come home. I wonder if today's the day when my son will leave that place and come back to his father and his love. I wonder if today is the day. The Bible says that the father embraced him and couldn't stop kissing him. And so he calls for a celebration. The best robe, ring on his finger, which signified royalty, brand new sandals, the fattened calf, 
is given and everybody is having a great time. Now, just for a moment, I want you to do a little interior work with me. I want you to imagine, maybe it's today, maybe it was a year ago, maybe it was ten years ago. I want you to imagine the day when you were a prodigal. Where were you? Not geographically, but where were you? What place were you in? And I want you to visualize yourself coming back to your Heavenly Father. Coming back with your tail between your legs, thinking, oh, how, how could Jesus ever forgive me of the way that I have behaved, the things that I have done, the places I have gone to? How could He ever forgive me? And as you're walking back to the Father, concerned, I wonder if I should go back to church. I wonder if I should go to my Bible. As you're walking back towards God, you are confronted with the loving arms of your Heavenly Father. You can't even get back home before He meets you. You can't even get the words out of your mouth, I'm sorry, before He starts kissing your head. You can't even get to a place where you acknowledge that you've been wrong before you're embraced by your Heavenly Father. Imagine what that was like ten years ago for you, one year ago. Maybe it needs to happen today. Imagine the best robe the ring on the finger, the fattened calf. Why? Because his son was dead and now he's alive. Forgiveness, mercy, and grace. But there's another piece to the story. Let's look at the picture again. Off to the right of the painting, behind him there's a couple of servants there that are just, uh, you can't really tell who they are. But up to the right is the uh, older brother, very proper, standing there looking. You can almost see, if you, if you go on your computers this afternoon and look at it, you can see it clearer. But you can see this uh, the seething anger in those eyes, the sense of unfairness, the sense of anger. And I don't know if the anger is so much projected towards the kid I think the anger is projected towards dad. I think that's where the anger is. And you see this seething, boiling anger. Something's wrong. This is not the way life should work. I have done the right thing. I have been the good boy. I have been obedient. What's wrong with that? I don't know about you, but I can see myself pretty easily as a prodigal. It takes a little more work for me to see myself as the elder son. But I am the elder son as well. Every time I take for granted my position as a boy growing up in the United States with loving parents, Christian parents, going to church and Sunday school, having all the advantages that I had, and every time I see myself growing up that way, I find that little spark of, of judgmentalism and self-righteousness creeping into my life. Well, look at that guy. He didn't work as hard as I did in college. Look at that guy. He didn't work as hard as I did. And look at him now. And there's this, this, this taste of the elder son, this, this idea that somehow my things that I have done in my life, my accomplishments and 
all my accus- my ac- my all the things that I've uh, accumulated, all of those things have done have been done because I've worked really hard and I've deserved it, and I'm I've been a good son, and I haven't gone off that far path. And and the Lord comes to me and says, Dwayne, you are the elder son. You are religious, and you are self righteous, and you believe that. Others, if they had just worked as hard as you, they would be in the position you are. You are the elder son. It's when I start seeing my other people through the eyes of my lenses. Someone's sin is always worse than mine. I remember going to, um, shortly after uh, I resigned from my church at Roseville, uh, one of the things that I was required to do by the conference was to go to GA, Gamblers Anonymous. And so one Friday night, I went to my first GA meeting, and I found one close to our home, and it was at a church, you know, go figure. And, uh, and so I went in there, and I didn't know anybody, of course, and uh, I walked in, and as I walked in, I looked around, and I said to myself, you've got to be kidding me. Look at all these losers. I mean, these people have gambled away all of their money, they've lost their spouses, They've lost their jobs. I mean, look at them. What a pathetic bunch of people. And even as I was there to deal with my own sin, I was feeling a sense of self-righteousness. I'm somehow better than them. Well, three hours later, at the end of the meeting, I realized that I was one of them. (laughs) That's exactly where I belonged. In fact, I was less than them because I was afraid to admit my own faults. I was less than them because I was self-righteous. I put myself up here on a pedestal. Be very careful of the elder son that lurks inside of you. Be very careful at looking at other people and somehow thinking that you are better than them because of your position in life or your position in Christianity. This man is lost. There is a sense of joylessness, a sense of religiosity that is terrifying to me. Well, you say at the end of the story, what happens? Well, this is one of the, one of the great things that Jesus does. We, we don't know what happens. They had the party, but we don't know what happened after the party. Unlike a fairy tale, the parable doesn't end happy. Instead, it leaves us face-to-face with one of life's hardest spiritual choices. And friends, I want you to hear this message clearly. This message is not about choosing money or not choosing money. It's not about an inheritance or not an inheritance. It's not about being sinful or not being sinful. Everybody in this picture is sinful, just like we are. Here's what this story is about. Are you willing to admit that you need desperately beyond all of the things the Father's love. Are you willing to recognize that you cannot live, you cannot breathe without the Father's love in your life? The oldest son did all the right things, but the one thing that was right before him, he didn't have. The one thing that was right before him was his Father's presence. He never talked about his father's presence. He only talked about what he did for the father. What his father, I'm sure, wanted. Son, let's sit down and talk. Let's sit down and share our lives together. Let's be together. The thing the father wants from you is, is you. Your heart, your soul, your time. He wants you. He wants to know you. He wants to know you intimately. We're all prodigals. 
We're all elder sons. Some of you here this morning may be saying right now, you know what? I am in that place. I am in that faraway place. And here's what God would want to say to you today. Come home. Before you get home, I'll be there with my arms wide open. But come home. Take a step towards me. Take a step away from that place. You come home. For others of us who are elder sons, who are religious, who are self-righteous, who look at other people and say, well, they should do better than they're doing. The Father says, you know what? Stop doing Christianity and just be. Just be. Be in my presence. Let's just be together. Like Martha and Mary, you know, uh, Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, Martha scurrying around. Just be. Just be there in His presence. Accept that beauty, that grace of a relationship with your Heavenly Father. This is a story about prodigals. It's a story about religious people as well. We don't know how they end, either one of them, but we do know this. The Father's love for you will never go away. Whether you're self-righteous or you're filthy, dirty, the Father's love for you will never go away. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, how hard it is to be a Christian when we're constantly told that we've just got to behave better. You know, it's like we change the Bible to read, behave in the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be saved. But it's believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll be saved. Father, there's, there's so much elder son in me and there's so much prodigal in me. And this morning, Lord, for each of us, I just want to invite them into this time of just opening up their hearts to you. If they're in a faraway place, Lord, may they take a step towards you today. Or if they're at a place of self-righteousness and religion and doing, Lord, I pray that you would forgive them and that they would just be in your presence. For all of us, Father, we need you. We need you. And we need to know that your arms are wide open to your children. Whether we, we are besmirched or self-righteous, your arms are wide open to us. Thank you, Father, for your great love. And may we experience that love in ways that we have never known before. For we ask these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, even Jesus Christ. And all of God's people together said, Amen.